Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series brought to you by STM. We believe the best way to communicate with anyone is to make them feel something, and that the best way to do that is through the power of stories. So in this series, we celebrate stories that matter. In this episode, I was delighted to chat with Karen Eber. Karen is an author, TED speaker, transformation expert and leadership development coach. She spends much of her working life helping companies reimagine and evolve how they use storytelling and how they truly embrace the notion of empathy. This episode is a real treat for anyone wanting to unearth the real secrets of how to tell a great story. I hope you enjoy listening. Karen, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us on this latest episode of Stories That Matter. It's a a thrill to have you here for reasons that will become very obvious to people listening to this over the course of the next 40, 45 minutes. Well, you had me at story. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thank you very much. So let's get into it. And I, I wanted to start by really asking you about you. And we'll come on to talk about your TED Talk, which I think has now had nearly 2 million views. But before we do that, I'd I'd love you to give our listeners a flavor of who you are, what's your story, and, you know, where you've been. Well, I love the audience for the podcast because I share a similar background. I come from professional services throughout my career, either inside of companies like General Electric or Hewlett Packard, where we were delivering services to other people in the company or outside at Deloitte and in my own company now, Eber Leadership Group. And so I've spent my time and my career focused on how do you help build healthy and engaged leaders, teams, and cultures. And I have been a head of leadership development, a chief learning officer, and a head of culture in different organizations where I'm trying to make that day-to-day environment better for people. And a big part of that has been storytelling because it's the way to connect. It's the way to influence. It's the way that I could reach a global population and and have individual conversations at mass. And so much of my work today is helping Fortune 500 companies reimagine and evolve how they're building their leaders, teams, and cultures and inspiring through storytelling. Fantastic. So in one fell swoop, you've uh, revealed to everybody why you are almost the uh, bullseye perfect guest for us uh, on this podcast series. Um, and thank you for that. I just had a quick question on that, because obviously you've had a, uh, you know, an incredible um, kind of career and, and you now have your own leadership group. Do you get a sense um, that, that, that in the recent past over the, the last few years, that the issue of storytelling, the role of stories, the power that story has has become more important, um, you know, as businesses evolved? Or do you think it's always been there and it's just now that people are starting to, um, to, to understand its importance? Probably both. Probably we're coming into the awareness of it. And I think some of that awareness is, is some of the things we'll talk about today as we better understand what happens in our brain and the science of communication the more we recognize like what a waste not to harness and take advantage of the brain. But I also think that, you know, we have left the industrial era and now we're in the narrative era. And the more we focus on individualization and customization and all of the things that are influencing our purchasing patterns and our lifestyle now, 
the more narrative comes into play and storytelling comes into play for that. And so I think we're sitting at this really interesting intersection, probably accelerated from things like social media, um, but also just a, a recognition that this is a time for different leadership skills. Very much. And that's very much what we're seeing as well. I think leadership is evolving and changing, isn't it, in, in, in ways that are uh, accelerating, I think, everybody's perspective on, on stories and how you lead. Um, that's great. Thank you. Now, I've got a quick plea to our audience, actually, at this point, because you have done a TED Talk. And in fact, uh, a TED Talk that has reached nearly 2 million views. So I'm going to tell everybody that's listening to this podcast that Karen's TED Talk is called How Your Brain Responds to Stories and Why They Are Crucial for Leaders. Because I would like us single-handedly to get you over the 2 million mark. Uh, because you are nearly there. Um, and uh, I uh, first uh, met you, I suppose would be the word, through having watched your TED Talk that you did in, um, in 2021 uh, around that topic. And, and a fabulous TED Talk it is too. I, I would urge everybody uh, that's listening to this to, to have a, a watch because it really is uh, 14 minutes actually of, of fantastic content and brilliant insight. But just before I get you to talk about that TED Talk and some of the content in it, I just would like to make reference to our last uh, podcast, uh, actually, that we recorded, which was with a fabulous, fantastic organization called Heartlines, based in South Africa. Uh, and we had a fantastic woman on called Zama. She was from a Zulu tribe. And she reminded me that there was a Zulu greeting. Uh, and that Zulu greeting was Zawabona. Uh, and, and that really means that I see you. Uh, and of course, what it means is not just that I see you literally, but I also see you metaphorically and I see beyond you and I see you for the person you are. And uh, I thought that was such a powerful way of explaining really how you build connections with people. And the, there's a reason that I mentioned that, as we know, because some of your TED Talk talks about that issue. So maybe if you could just talk to us about your TED Talk, talk a little bit about some of the themes in that. And maybe, maybe in keeping with this podcast, tell a story or two. Yeah, why don't I tell the story that connects to that? Because uh, this idea of helping people feel seen is so important in leadership. It doesn't matter how you are um, managing work and checking in on stuff. If someone doesn't feel like they're seen and understood and valued, they get disengaged. And so when I was a general electric, I actually wrote the story that became the opening of my TED Talk. And it is all true events that happened, um, but it took off within the company because people responded to this idea. And the story describes this woman, Maria, who is walking into the elevator at work for her day of work and her arms are full of binders and pens and phone and, you know, all the things in your hands when you're trying to get settled. And when she goes to press the button in the elevator, her phone bounces, it falls out of her hand and it bounces on the floor and it goes straight down the elevator shaft. Like it somehow manages to fit down the narrow opening between the elevator and the floor She's wearing an iWatch. It's an iPhone and she checks it and she sees it's still working amazingly. It fell over three stories, still working. So she's standing in the elevator with the doors closing on her, trying to figure out what to do and decides to go to the front desk and talks to Ray, the security guard. And so as soon as he sees her coming, he is so happy. His, his smile gets really wide. 
because uh, she's one of the few people that actually says hello to him each day, that stops and takes the time to talk. And she's one of these people that she knows your favorite vacation and uh, the last movie you saw and your favorite food. And she's not creepy or obsessive. It's just she's one of these people that really wants each person to feel seen and she remembers. And when she tells him what happens, he his smile just disappears because he knows it's going to be really a big process to get it back. And he tells her that it's going to cost at least 500 US because they have to call in a service call, shut down the elevator bank, send someone down. And she said, just get a quote and see, because she realized it's not just her phone. It's her driver's license. It's her badge. It's her credit cards. Like she was stuck. She couldn't go anywhere. Um, And while 500 is not insignificant, the cost and time involved with replacing it was going to be significant too. So he calls it in and I happen to be passing through the lobby at this moment. So I take her to her office. And amazingly, a few minutes later, the phone rings and it is the security guard. And he says, you know, I was looking at the inspection certificate in the elevator and realized that the elevator's due for its annual inspection next month. I can just call that in today and we can pick up your phone as part of it and it won't cost you anything. Brilliant. The same day this happens, I'm reading an article in the New York Times about Walt Benninger, who is now the CEO of Charles Schwab. And he is talking about this story that he... Um, of the last exam of his university career where he had straight A average and was preparing to get in there and ace the exam, had spent weeks studying formulas, practicing. And when he gets in, the professor hands out paper and says to everyone, I have taught you everything there is to know about business except this one thing, turn your papers over. And when they do, the other side is completely blank. And everyone's looking around the room trying to figure out what's going on. And the professor said, what is the name of the person that cleans this room? And his heart sank because he had seen her, but he had never met her. And her name was Dottie. And he made a vow in that moment of like, I am always going to try to know the Dotties in my life. Because in that moment, his own leadership values were in conflict because that's something that was important to him. And both Walter and Maria understand this power of what can happen when someone feels seen and valued and understood. And it's something they live every day. So I use that as an opening because in the work that I did at the time I wrote the story at General Electric, I was leading culture in a business of 90,000 employees in 150 countries. And the way that we all know that, that culture or professional services work is not that it's an initiative and something that the CEO says. It's when you connect with each person individually and you help them think, what does this mean for me? And what would I do in this situation? And Um, Would I have known Dottie? And so I use that story to illustrate that you can inform, you can influence, you can inspire far more dynamically through a story than if I sat down and said, let me tell you 10 leadership principles that are so key as a leader. And so that is true events that happen, but a really powerful way to to further this idea of how do you help people feel seen? Yeah, very much so. And I'm going to Just come on to, we're going to talk a little bit about the neuroscience of storytelling and and stories, not because we want to turn it into a a scientific kind of podcast, but because I want to, I want to talk about that as it relates to these two stories you've just told, and you'll, you'll make the connection as you did powerfully and brilliantly in your TED talk. It's interesting about culture, isn't it? I, I often say, I think culture is often 
you know, lots of people have definitions of culture. My view is culture is the thing that happens when no one's looking. And, you know, I think what you just described is very powerful in that. It's very easy to do. You're talking about it. I also, I was reflecting as you were talking on probably the most brilliant new business development, relationship building individual I've ever worked with. He had one trick. It wasn't a trick. It was a genuine heartfelt desire to connect with people. But he knew he didn't have a brilliant memory. So he would meet you, Karen, and say, hi, Karen, my name's David. Uh, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And you'd say, you, you'd then you'd talk about your life and things. And he would come away. And on the back of a piece of paper or your business card, he would write, Karen, she does this. She has that. She's interested in this. And three months later, he'd call you up and say, Karen, um, you know, I noticed that the uh, the world, I know you're a golfer. I noticed the World Golf Championships have just happened. You know, did you enjoy watching it on TV? Or whatever it was, talk about her family. or And it was just the most magnificent way of connecting, connecting almost immediately on the second time that he wanted to, to chat to people. And um, I think those things are, are, are so important, aren't they? Um, now, the neuroscience of storytelling, again, something you touched on in your TED Talk. Could we just talk about that for a minute and, and as it relates to those two stories? Because actually, when I talk about this with people, sometimes they groan and think that I'm about to go into a, you know, an hours long lecture about the, the workings of the brain. It's actually quite simple, isn't it, about the way that stories Im- impact the brain and what happens to the brain when stories are told brilliantly. And there are ways of bringing it to life. And uh, you did so brilliantly at TED Talk. Talk to us about that, the neuroscience of it. Yeah, I I don't um, I don't shy away from the science, and I feel like the science is important for everyone to understand. And science doesn't have to mean heavy or boring. It's truly when you understand some fundamental principles of how the brain responds to communication or stories, then you can hack the art of storytelling. And that's what I am trying to help people do. So I have evolved the way I describe the the neuroscience from the TED Talk. And I have what I call the five factory settings of the brain. And these are five ways that our brain is going to naturally respond to information or communication. And what the role is then when you're planning stories to either harness and leverage those things or navigate around them. So the first one is that your brain is lazy. Your brain's number one goal is for you to get through the day alive. It uses 20% of your body's overall calories because it wants to make sure you are functioning alive um, and making predictions, which is the second one, right? So first one is your brain is lazy. Second is that your brain makes assumptions or predictions. And this isn't just um, predicting if it's under attack. It is things like predicting how your foot needs to step when you're going downstairs, so, so much of your brain is already consciously predicting what's happened. We are not responding. We are predicting because when we predict and we get that correct, we can conserve calories. If we get it wrong, then we do something new. So we, you've often heard about forming neural pathways. Neural pathways are formed when we have all these predictions that are correct. So where these two are really important in storytelling is that your brain is always going to be looking to be lazy because it wants to have a surplus of calories to make these predictions, which means it wants to slide into lazy mode. And you've noticed this when you've listened to a meeting or a presentation or even a show that doesn't hold your attention and your brain checks out or 
to pair it with the second factory setting when you guess the ending or you guess what's going to be said. And so you navigate these in storytelling by including unexpected events, by building tension and the way you sequence the story so that you are forcing the brain to spend calories by engaging specific senses or by including really specific details like you just described the person wrote on the back of the card. Because what they do is they force the brain to go, huh? Oh, I didn't expect that, right? So those are the first two. Your brain is lazy and it's going to be making assumptions or predictions. The third one is also related to those and it is that your brain is this library of files. So we process 34 gigabytes of information every day through our senses and most of that's happening subconsciously. It is being filtered in and our brain is subconsciously saying, is this something that I know and have experienced? Is this related to something that I know or is this brand new? And that categorization is happening all the time. When our brain goes to make predictions, it goes to all of those files to see what were our past experiences, what happened in the past to help predict in the future. And so where this library of files comes in in storytelling is you want to anchor to what people know. So if I describe um, sunblock that smells like coconut, you can immediately smell that because it anchors to something that you know. And so these three you intentionally use in the stories to make sure you are doing certain things to make the brain be more active and engaged in the story. The last two factory settings are that we naturally seek in groups and out groups. This has been a part of our survival since inception. So the in group is the, the group of people that we feel similar to, share something, share an affinity, or even things that we aspire to. You often see it in sales, right? It's the I want that. Out groups are where we notice that we are different. And a good story is going to help someone feel like part of an in-group or an out-group or sometimes both. Um, charities make you feel like a member of an out-group when they describe the boy that has to walk to get water five times a day because his village has no running water and you have a sink that has running water and you have all these luxuries. And so when you hear that story, you immediately recognize like, my life is so different. And so... Both of those are important to be thoughtful of in your story of how are you intentionally trying to connect the audience, um, which leads to the fifth one of that at our most basic level, we seek pleasure and avoid pain. So we seek pleasure. We have oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin and all of these neurochemicals that are released in response to connection, to interactions that make us feel really good and that we want more of, and that actually increase trust. We know that oxytocin, when someone is listening to a story, they release oxytocin and their trust is increased in the storyteller and their empathy increases. On the flip side, we also have adrenaline and cortisol that are released to really increase focus and help us prepare to get out of a dangerous situation. And when you're listening to stories, because your brain as the listener mirrors the same exact activity as the storyteller, you have neurochemicals released. So if you were watching James Bond and you were sitting calmly in the theater chair, but your heart's racing as he's running across, across rooftops, that's because you have some cortisol that's being released because your brain feels like you are James Bond running across the rooftops. So all of these play a role in the storytelling of your brain is lazy, it is going to be making assumptions and predictions, it's got this library of files that is placing in and out groups and that you are 
seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And when you get an understanding of that and learn that these things will naturally happen and you can intentionally build a story in a way to harness that, then that is how you start to hack storytelling where you're not just telling a story. The way you tell it really makes a difference for the listener. Fantastic. Brilliant framework. As you were describing that and I was listening and intently, I was just uh, wishing that you'd be my science teacher at school, actually. That would have been fantastic. Because you can explain all of this with story. This is why I don't shy away from the science, because all of this can be done in a more dynamic way. Ironically, there's a platform that can measure when oxytocin spikes. So this is Dr. Paul Zak is a neuroscientist that developed this way to measure when someone's oxytocin spikes in response to a story. And they have it down through wearable devices now where you can have a wearable on your arm. It's measuring capillary changes moment to moment. And they can see when is someone engaged in the story and when is their brain drifted off. And I thought for sure that my talk would have the brain most engaged in the opening and closing story. And instead, the the people that participated, their brain was most engaged when I was describing the science of the people that had brain damage and how that impacted their ability to make decisions because I told a story about science. And so it can all be really dynamic and impactful. Yeah, fantastic. I hope you're going to offer one of these wearable devices free with your new book so that you can uh... <laughs> it is not my platform <laughs> i don't have access i wish uh immersion neuroscience if people want to learn more about it i'm a big fan of dr zach's work but um it's not it's not expensive to license but i know there is a fee but i don't unfortunately have the uh that's above my pay grade exactly and mine too but uh, it i just wonder whether it might be a nice way of you ascertaining with your new book which is coming out next year and we'll talk about that in a minute um, manages to capture the imagination and, uh, and and the hearts and minds, which I'm sure it will, by the way. That's great. Thank you for that. A really, really interesting framework and, and you know, a, a great addition, actually, to our body of learning around around the neuroscience. And obviously, your framework is, has just been developed. It's new, hot off the press almost. It certainly wasn't in your TED talk that you just described. So that's that's brilliant. Thank you. great stories have i mean i know we've talked about the neuroscience of it but 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 beyond that um you know we could talk about context and conflict and outcomes and various other bits but just uh, just again touching on your your ted talk a little bit but we'll go beyond that as well what do great stories have what what matters about writing them how do you get to great you know great stories and you touched on so many you know techniques that you used at the beginning the stories you told but what do they have karen what really you know, brings a great story to life. Yeah, the the factory settings are important because that's going to help make sure the brain is engaged. But a big part of it is then also the way you structure your story. When you are listening to someone and they are telling a story like this, it was Tuesday and I was supposed to meet my friend for lunch and I was headed out the door, I was running a little, actually, maybe it was Monday because I think we had the date off and no no it was Tuesday it was Tuesday it was definitely Tuesday and it was raining and I had my people do this all the time like where's the story what is she saying I can't track any of it so so often when we haven't planned at all 
we get hung up on details that are important to us, or we're trying to place ourselves back in that setting because we want to recall it accurately, but we're focusing on all the wrong things. And so a story has, a great story has a structure that organizes it for the listener. That when you develop a structure, put your story through a structure, you are giving the listener's brain an easier way to process what's being said, but you're also focusing it as the storyteller to really hone in on what's important. And I shared a structure in the TED Talk that I believe strongly in. It's a four-part memorable model intentionally because there are many different storytelling models out there. Things like the hero's journey, which the original Star Wars films were built on, or even Pixar has a wonderful storytelling model. Um, they are fantastic if you are writing fiction or narrative or uh, a screenplay, but for your average person looking to land an idea on a meeting, it is too confusing to know where you are. So I use this four-part model which is first that you set the context, which is what is the situation? What's happening? Why should the audience even care? The second is the conflict. This is your fuel of your story, right? What is happening? What is the thing that needs to be resolved? Which, by the way, is most often between your characters. You want relatable characters. Come back to that. Um, so you have your context. You have your conflict. You have your outcome. What happens as a result of the outcome? And the takeaway, which is the step that most people skip. The people will do like the beginning, middle, end, context, conflict, outcome, but they don't do the takeaway. And the takeaway is what makes sure you stick the landing for your story. It is the, what is that overall theme and message that you want the audience to come away with? So when you get any idea that you want to do and you sit down with these four pieces, write out a sentence for each because you think of it as a, a framework or a skeleton, it helps you really organize the pieces of your story that you can layer pieces on. And the pieces that you're going to layer on are things like these characters that have the conflict with each other and that they're relatable. You don't have to have a hero because life does not put us in the hero role often, but it sure puts us in the role of mistakes and lessons learned and reflection and growth. And so it's not important that your story is a hero, but it is important that any characters you have are relatable, meaning I understand why they're doing what they're doing, even if I don't agree with it. Yes. And that's important, isn't it? I, I, as you were talking, I was very struck by the, the, you know, the empathy piece you talk about and actually what, what's in it for the reader. And as it pertains to our world, and you'll see this in your work, I'm, I'm continually still amazed, actually, by the number of clients that we come across who... Um, you know, like to talk about their features without actually describing their benefits. You know, what's in it for me is often what, what most people are thinking when people are talking to them in a professional context about the work they do. Actually, I think almost a lesser known kind of people forget that as I'm receiving that information, I'm actually thinking, okay, well, what's in it for me? How are you going to make a difference to my world? And how are you going to improve my chances of successfully developing my company? You always want to center on your audience, correct? Because where storytelling goes wrong is where we center on ourselves and we're telling the story we want to tell, but we haven't stopped to think about who am I sharing this with and what do I want them to take away? Yeah, very much so. And that you know lies at the very heart of empathy, doesn't it? And you know we know that empathy is one of those amazing amazingly important things in terms of stories um okay great fantastic framework again uh it's uh it's a masterclass in storytelling so far so um i couldn't be more grateful so far um but importantly you are going to walk the walk and talk the talk and you're writing your own book 
and your own book is coming out next year. Um, uh, uh, so um, I'd love to hear a bit about that and, you know, what gave you the impetus to, to do that, which I assume is partly the two million or nearly two million. I'll remind our audience, nearly two million. Let's get it over the two million mark. But the nearly two million people who've looked at your to watch your TED talk. But yeah, what's it about? When's it out? And, you know, are you still in the process of writing it or is it done? It is submitted. It is in the final copy editing layout process. Um, it did come about because of the TED Talk and the work that I've been doing on storytelling, because what I find is that people either say they don't know where to find ideas for stories or they tell stories, but they've never really learned how. So they're not sure what they're doing or they feel like I have to talk about data. I can't tell stories. And I just realized that there's this missed opportunity in business and in life to help people really understand how can you make storytelling accessible and how do you hack the art of storytelling? Because my favorite moments are when I'm working with an audience like an engineering group that feels like we have no reason to tell stories. And then we go through the five factory settings and then they realize we absolutely should be telling stories. So where do we start? So the book does ground in this idea of the science and making the science relatable and friendly because I want people to understand what is happening and how to harness that. It goes into how to find ideas, build an endless toolkit of ideas, how to really center on your audience and get clear on what you want them to experience from this, and then how you pick any idea for a specific instance and build it out through the framework, adding on the details, the senses, the emotions, how you consider different perspectives, how you sequence the story, how you tell stories with data, looking at how you actually tell stories, how do you become part of the delivery of a story and um, considering storytelling and manipulation and how you avoid that and how you navigate the vulnerability of storytelling. And one of my favorite things is that um, chapters end with these little interview vignettes from people that tell stories in different ways. Because while I take you through a, a methodical approach, each person has to figure out what's going to work for themselves. And we learn from observing through others. So I interviewed a television correspondent, a TED Radio Hour podcast host, executive producer of The Moth, um, physician, uh, improv comedian, people that use stories in different ways, the, the, one of the founders of Sundance, um, people that are doing this in very different walks of life to just let you live in their world for 500 words. So it's like if you were seated next to them at a dinner party and you say, what do you do? And they start to tell you, you get a snapshot and an understanding of what that's like, because I want to show that there's a methodology and an approach, but each person personalizes that and makes that their own. And so that's a, a fun piece of the book as well. Brilliant. What a fantastic idea to do that. At the end of, that's at the end of each chapter, is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And is this the first book you've written? It is. And did you enjoy the process? I did. I did, yeah. Are you now hooked? And will you be doing books two and three? or, or is You know, I am so focused on getting this into the world. I hope that the reception is overwhelming. You know, my goals are to write a book that people want to read all the way through. And there's a lot of stories in here. Um, I put myself through the test to make sure I was putting compelling stories in there and walking the talk for what I am putting in the book. 
Um, but I also wanted something that is going to be around for 10, 15 years. You know, my wish is that this is a book that people gift to someone that wants to understand how to tell stories or someone in university that's looking to get started or, of course, in um and the workshops that I do, we embed it within different workshops and help different corporations learn how to do it. So my wish is that it has this long tail and that it's something that people want to read all the way through and, and that they show it to me all dog-eared and highlighted and marked up because it's resourceful. So hopefully that's what we achieve. And so when is it out and how, how can people listening to this uh, get hold of it? Yeah, we're in this awkward period where I'm telling you about this book and hopefully you're like, yeah, let's get it. Uh, And you cannot pre-order it quite yet. Best way to get information on it is on my website, which is my name, K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. There's books. So go to the books page. You can sign up, get information on it. Um, It will be out next fall and I will... Uh, probably be in pre-orders early this winter and of course have all sorts of different information about um, packages or bonuses or just the book itself. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, well, we'll look out for that. And uh, I'll make a a promise to you now, we will, on behalf of my company, definitely go out of our way to promote that and uh, talk about it. Thank you. Because uh, obviously we care deeply about everything that you're discussing and also congratulations from me personally to you for having completed a book they say don't they that everybody's got a book in them but and I think that's probably true and as somebody who's also penned and and, and published uh, uh, something uh, it's not easy and it requires a huge discipline and uh, particularly the way that you're describing the book it's a huge amount of work clearly gone into it given that you're trying to incorporate lots of other people's stories actually so um, uh, yeah, congratulations from me, and really the you know the very best of luck with it. We'll be we'll be keeping a close eye out um, for its launch. Karen, that's it's a fantastic uh, a jaunt through your world and the world of storytelling, and and fantastic to talk about your thoughts and your views and. Uh, and, um, you know, particularly some of the things around your TED Talk. But I just wanted to end, if I could, with, with just a, cu- a couple of things, really, that hopefully we can leave our, our, our listeners um, with. Um, so imagine, if you would, I'm a leader, I'm listening to this uh, podcast, uh, I run a team, I run an organisation, and I'm thinking, you know what, God blimey, as we find with lots of our clients, I, I know that I've got stories to unearth. I know that I've got some interesting things to say. I know that possibly if I focused on it, but you know, the day job gets in the way and I've got some shareholders and I've got some targets to meet. I've got some clients to win. What would you say to those people around, you know, what can you do to really begin to focus on unearthing those stories? What's the, what are the keys to unlock the corporate door? And uh, I'm asking because I, I, I asked myself that question probably three times a day, because it's one of the keys to our business as well. You know, what do you do with leaders and organizations to really advocate for the power of storytelling? And how do you get them to to really focus on it? The first thing is to acknowledge it is vulnerable. There is a, um, it's almost like when you spend a day in the sun and whether you're sunburnt or not, your skin like radiates warmth for several hours after, like there's a feeling about telling a story and that's okay. 
um, that feeling is also what translates to more trust and connection and all of that. And so you can't think your way into storytelling. You just have to do it. And so what I often do with leaders is find small instances for them to experience what happens when you tell one. So I would just tell yourself first, pick an opportunity and decide you're going to do it and do it. Um, the payoff is always worth it. The second is that you have to go out to find ideas. So unfortunately, FedEx doesn't deliver stories to your home. You have to go in search of them. And that could be listening to podcasts or exploring the world or reading an article. It could be sitting down and thinking through your own professional experiences, working through different prompts. Um, it could be things that just stick with you. What works for me is I, if I know that I'm doing like a keynote that I'm going to be talking about trust and I'm trying to think of a new story, I first sit down and go through my personal professional experiences and build a list of ideas. And I'm not looking for fully formed stories. I'm looking for fragments, anything that is intriguing. And I start there. And if I haven't come up with something, I then intentionally go and read articles and I listen to different podcasts and I go on a walk and ask myself a question. And what happens through this knowing you have to seek it is that you find it. The challenge that so many people run into is that they don't leave themselves enough time. So they have to tell a story in 10 minutes and they don't have their toolkit of ideas. And so then they're scrambling, they can't find the idea and they abandon it. And so recognize that you want to be taking a collection of things that intrigue you in the world and have that to look at because it prompts thinking. So go in search of your stories. And then once you find something, think about the message that you're trying to have the audience take away and start to frame up the story and work it through. Um, just the key is give yourself time because stories are best when you have a chance to do them and refine them. Now that said, I've worked in a world where sometimes you have 10 minutes to think of the story. And so you can use that same context, conflict, outcome, takeaway, and frame up a structure and it can be great. Um, but the more time you have, the more you can start to see where you want to pull different levers in your story to make it more engaging. Yeah, it's a great reminder that, isn't it? That, that ultimately the, the power of your output is only really dictated by the quality of your input. And, uh, uh, and, and that's a neat way to, to, to kind of end, actually, because it's really only because I guess I was and am fascinated by this topic that I, uh, I, I was searching around for interesting people talking about interesting things to do with stories that I came across your TED Talk um, last year and so thoroughly enjoyed it that I promised myself that if ever I uh, uh, got an opportunity to, to contact you with a uh, a reason and an excuse to talk to you um, that I'd love to do so and this podcast came about and I realized straight away that it was an ideal chance for me to do that and it's a funny thing when you watch a TED talk because by the end of some of them because people have told great stories you feel like you've known you've known the person a while because they've shared lots with you and uh, of course when you meet them it's even it's even greater fun and uh, and 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 this one's been exactly that i've so enjoyed the conversation i've so enjoyed talking to you about storytelling and i i really am hugely grateful for your insight your passion and enthusiasm which absolutely shines through uh, and, the, and 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 the degree to which you've really managed to simplify lots of things around what we care about what you care about which is why stories don't matter so karen thank you so much the best of luck with your book and the very best of luck with the rest of this year 
Thank you so much. 